and welcome to Insights into Wealth with Bull Wealth. I'm Julian Smith, CEO of Bull Wealth. Today, Kevin Van Dyke and Randy Gunn, two of Bull Wealth's portfolio managers, and myself share some of our observations from 2023. Our discussion will be joined by Sabah Sardansev, Bull Wealth's Director of Research and Investments, who will pose questions to each of us around how shifting interest rates have impacted the fixed income markets, why education is a key focus of Bull Wealth's interactions with our clients, why select global equities outperformed others, how to reallocate to equities if you're underweight, and why due diligence is critical to understanding an investment manager's performance. Each of us will discuss our thoughts and insights into why these observations were key to some of our decision-making throughout 2023. As you know, we like to keep it short and simple. So we'll leave it to Sava to pose his first question. Hi, Julian, Kevin, and Randy. Thank you for joining me today. Maybe we can start with our first question about fixed income. Given the shift in interest rate policies by central banks over the past two years, how has this impacted the performance and strategies within the bond market, and how has this impacted your clients' portfolios? Thanks, Sava. Maybe I'll kick off our panel discussion today by trying to answer that question. I think the short answer is that bonds are back. For the last 14, 15 years, we've been dealing with a low interest rate environment. In fact, since the financial crisis of 2000 and 2009. And when I say bonds are back, what I mean is that maybe the best way to talk about that is to provide insight in terms of what might be our best investment idea for this year. So for the last year, Kevin suggested that we just go out and buy Government of Canada bonds. And these bonds were AAA rated one year in term, and they were basically providing our clients with a return of over 5%. And our logic was, well, if interest rates continued upward, we'd be able to roll that one-year bond into a higher yielding investment. If interest rates fall, then we'd get a nice capital gain for our clients. And then if we did get a market equity correction, well, we could sell the bond and redeploy the funds to equity. So it actually worked out quite well for our clients this year. I think the other thing that's worthwhile mentioning is we were going through our asset class optimization process. And what we do every year at this time of year, we sit down as a team and we figure out for each asset class, what are the returns going to be for the next 12 months? And what's the risk associated with that asset class? And then we put them through an optimizer and get a bunch of different asset allocation simulations to see what works and what doesn't work. And when we did that last year, one thing that was obvious was that the fixed income asset class was going to be a larger percentage of our clients' portfolios. And I think if we go through that same process this year, we're going to have a similar outcome. Thank you, Randy. I'm just going to jump into that thought process because I think you made a very valid and very important point, which is that the asset allocation of a client portfolio and shift, and it has shifted in the last 12 to 24 months, based on the fact of what central banks have done by raising interest rates. And now all of a sudden, fixed income is that much more attractive than it was before. And a higher allocation to fixed income from a risk reward characteristic is very valid. I think also from an observation side is that back in the beginning of 2022, most investors and myself included, and probably most of us at Bull Wealth, did not believe that interest rates would go from effectively at 0% to above 5% in the course of really 18 months. It was a very aggressive rate increase cycle. And what ended up happening is that after three decades of a bull market and fixed income, all of a sudden investors had significant losses. And it's something that we have not encountered in quite some time. Having said that, 
One observation is that having a shorter duration, which means that you have less interest rate sensitivity in your portfolio, is something that we did do at Bull Wealth, and we reduced all of our clients' duration in their fixed income portfolio, which resulted in some positive gains. The other part that I'd also like to talk a bit about within the fixed income is this thing called the equity risk premium. And it plays a very significant role in the allocation between fixed income and equities. Effectively, when bond yields have risen to 5%, they've effectively matched the earnings yield of equities at around 6%. And that means that there's really a 1% differential between the yield of a bond and the earning yield of an equity. Historically, that's usually been between 3 and 4%. And so when we kind of think a bit about this is that when you have bond yields as high as they are, it now makes sense to have maybe a higher allocation to fixed income in the current environment, rather than potentially having a higher allocation to equities. And that's something that has happened for some clients over the course of the last year. How do we get back to that differential of roughly 3 to 4%? Well, one thing is that earnings yields have to continue to move higher, or bond yields need to go down. And there has been some talk recently about interest rates maybe declining, and that would have probably an impact on bond yields moving from above 5% back below, which is something that has happened recently. I'll just put some numbers on that last comment. In the fourth quarter alone, we saw the bond yields fall pretty dramatically. I picked uh, the 10-year Government of Canada bond, for instance, fell from 4.3% in early October all the way down to 3.1%, so fairly significant decline. And that resulted in a return of about 8.3% for the broad Canadian bond market. One of the strongest returns we've seen from the Canadian bond market in several decades. So as Julian described, we've seen that come to fruition in a pretty short period over the last three months. Well, thank you for these interesting observations, guys. Let's talk about the role of education. We all emphasize the vital role of education in the investment management process. And money management business isn't just about picking the right stocks or bonds. It's also about educating clients to navigate through complex market scenarios. So my question here is, how important is education in your interaction with clients? Seva, I think maybe I can answer that. I would say, first off, I think education is at the heart of everything we do here at Bow Wealth. It's how we build trust with our clients over time. So it's very important to all of us. I think when you talk to people, and I've been in this business for 20 years, a lot of individuals end up investing in investment solutions that they don't truly understand. And as Julian likes to say, our investment industry is very opaque. And I think all of us work really hard to try and bring transparency to the entire investment process. So to answer your question, I would say education is probably an agenda item on any meeting that we have with our clients. I think a couple of other points I'd like to make. The first is that being a portfolio managers, one of our biggest challenges in working with clients is help them to understand the competing investment objectives between what I would say are the three primary investment objectives that any of our clients have, and that's capital preservation, income generation, and growth. None of our clients want to lose money, so that's pretty straightforward. Income, I'm always amazed, no matter how wealthy clients, they want to see income continuing to flow into their portfolio. And then the third one is most of our clients are growing wealth for future generations. So that growth piece is really, really important. I think the final point I'd like to make around education is many of our competitors talk about returns 
And a lot of their conversation with clients is around the return objective. And unfortunately, I think people forget about the risk side of the equation. We spend a lot of time understanding what is our client's ability to take risk? What is their willingness to take risk? How much risk can they take and sleep at night? And it's really that risk objective that should drive the return objective and then set the overall asset allocation for our client's investment program. Randy, I'm just going to jump in on this one too. The global capital markets are very complex. And there are so many different scenarios that happen every single day within those markets, both from a fixed income and equity and from other parts of the asset class you may invest into. So one of the things that we have at Bull Wealth is our values. And one of the values is insights. And to us, insights means education. And going back to Randy's comment is that there is a lot of opaqueness within the global capital markets and within the advisors that manage investors' capital. And so it has always been our responsibility to believe that we have to provide transparency as best as we possibly can to each one of our clients. And it goes back to that value of insights, is that if we can provide education and transparency, then our clients should understand their asset allocation, where they're invested and why they're invested, It comes from the due diligence of their investment managers and the ongoing oversights. Because if we can provide the education and the knowledge and the transparency, then we believe that our clients with ourselves can make informed decisions, informed decisions about complex scenarios and about the complexity of the markets and about what's going on in their portfolio as a whole. So to us, education is critical, it's paramount. Well, thank you, Julian. Thank you, Randy, for your answers. So moving on to the next topic of global equity markets. The global equity markets have always been dynamic, but 2023 has been particularly notable in terms of market drivers and company performances. So my question here is, what has really driven the global equity market? Sure, I'll take that one, Saba. Yeah, certainly was another interesting year in the equity markets. Volatility persisted, but that seems to be the norm these days. The contrast of 2023 with 2022, where we saw a large decline over the course of 2022 with rising rates having a negative impact on growth sectors in particular. Rising rates disproportionately affects growth companies, puts a damper on expected economic growth, increased likelihood of a recession. So starting 2023, one might have expected more of the same as interest rates continued to rise, albeit at a slower pace. But that was not the case. Through the first six months of 2023, we saw those growth sectors, information technology, consumer discretionary, communication services up between 20 and 30 percent, while other more defensive oriented sectors, utilities, consumer staples, healthcare, things like that were actually in negative territory. And some of that comes back a little bit to what Julian was talking about with the equity risk premium and particularly in the dividend oriented sectors where that rising bond yield made those higher dividend companies a little less attractive. So weak performance from those defensive sectors and strong performance from growth. There was a bit of a blip, I guess, in the third quarter where it was really energy was the only sector that was positive, which happens once in a while. Energy seems to be a little bit of boom or bust. First quarter of 22, the third quarter of 23, we saw energy really driving the market where everything else did not perform very well, but it tends not to do much in between quarters where it's not the market leader. So that was in the third quarter. And then things sort of picked up again in the fourth quarter and we saw growth stocks perform well. And the overall result was that the global equity market was up around 23% in 2023. And again, to get back to that volatility, we saw 
Global market's down 16% in 2022, and it's swinging back and forth. And this year, where growth was ahead by about 25%, 2022, we saw value stocks outperform growth by 23%. So it's been moving around. But what was surprising this year, when you talked about the market drivers or asked about the market drivers, was the concentrated nature of the market returns. So it's called the Magnificent Seven Stocks. In the US, Tesla, NVIDIA, Apple, Amazon, Meta, Microsoft and Alphabet were a huge part of the market returns, extremely significant in the US, but even on a global scale with stocks at the higher end, NVIDIA and Meta up in 200, 240% range and the other five ranging anywhere between 50 and hundred percent over the course of the year. And they've obviously grown to become a larger part of the index They're about 20% of the overall global market and accounted for about 40% of the global market return in 23. And then, as I said, even more so in the U.S., where they accounted for about 60% of the S&P 500 returns. So seven stocks accounting for 60% of the return. And that's because those seven stocks gained roughly 70%, whereas the remaining 493 stocks in the S&P 500 were up around 12%. So it was a very narrow market. Thank you, Kevin. So moving on to our next theme here, in volatile and uncertain markets, making decisions about asset allocation, especially when considering moving from cash to equities, can be really challenging. So my question here is, how do you advise clients about reallocating to equities, especially when many are sitting in cash? Let me start with by saying, is, as I mentioned a few moments ago, the global capital markets can be quite complex. And if we overthink them, then what ends up happening is we probably will make the wrong decision. And a perfect example of that is after the challenging 2022, most economists and probably investors thought that 2023 would see a recession and that equity markets would decline, which would potentially have two years in a row of declining equity markets. However, as Kevin just mentioned, that was not the case. The recession has not yet happened or maybe just happening now. Instead, there was a pretty significant run-up in equity markets. But because of factors that happened in 2022, where there may be tax losses and people were taking those tax losses to offset some of the gains of previous years, their equity allocation may have been underweight. There may have been higher cash components because of the 5% yields that we're able to get now. All of those factors may happen that equities are underweight in a client portfolio. And so the question is, is how do you reallocate back into the equity allocation to get yourself back to the target? And there's an underlying theme that we've been talking about here, which is that asset allocation is key. And we do truly believe that. We come up with an asset allocation. We want to make sure that we stick to that as much as we possibly can. And so we try not to overweight or underweight, but at times that will occur. So when we try to reallocate back into equities, we try to do it in a non-emotional process. And the best way of doing that effectively is to understand how much is to be reallocated back to equities and then effectively figure out a timeline that you would like to use to be able to get back to that target. And then once you're ready to go is then to essentially allocate on that non-emotional basis effectively on the first day or the 30th day or the 15th day of a month over a number of different months or maybe a couple of different quarters. And by doing that, you remove the emotion because all of a sudden on the day that you think you're actually going to want to invest, the markets could be down and you're thinking, oh, maybe I'll wait another day. Or maybe the markets are up and you're thinking, oh, I've lost that gain. But if you remove the emotion out of it and you have it just as a day, 
then we do believe that reallocating back into equities is the best way to do it once you're ready to do that and ultimately getting back to that target. Yeah, I think it's important to remain disciplined and stick with that long-term target asset mix. And that applies to asset classes, that applies to the mix within an asset class between different investment managers. And sometimes that can be done through cash withdrawal considerations, cash needs arise, and you can trim a particular asset class or manager to bring it back in line. Sometimes it happens through rebalancing between managers or between asset classes. But I think the key is to, to stick to that discipline of working towards the long-term mix, but always with the consideration of the tax implications that any of these actions might have. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Julian. So my next question is on the due diligence. As we all know, investment success often hinges on the rigor and depth of the due diligence process. So what do you think differentiates us on how we're doing the due diligence process? We've spoken a lot about asset allocation, as I just mentioned, but the one other component that is critical to a client portfolio and that we've observed for many years, and again, this past year, is understanding the investment managers that our clients are invested in. And we spend a lot of time doing the due diligence of searching and selecting a manager, but it's also critical to recognize the ongoing oversights of these managers. It happens every single quarter, usually by video conference. And then either once a year or once every couple of years, we actually do an on-site where we go and see the manager and their team. And we really get to know that much more about what's going on uh, within the portfolio. But it's important to have this ongoing oversight because what we do not want to find is a manager that happens to be defensive, doing really well in a growth market. Or we want to make sure that there hasn't been different types of holdings within a portfolio that do not align to the manager's philosophy and process. So it's paramount that we do these ongoing oversights on a regular basis. And it helps us when we actually find a manager that does not perform the way that we would expect. For example, in this last year, Value Invest, which is a global equity manager that we've had in most of our client portfolios for probably 15 years, did not perform the way that we would expect it to in the third quarter. And that actually has to do with a couple of different factors that we had to really dive into. And from that ongoing oversight, we have some what we believe are the right answers. Effectively, what happened with Value Invest is that it underperformed in a down market. And it underperformed in a down market really due to a couple of reasons. And those reasons are is that technology was starting to be sold off. And usually investors rotate from those types of holdings into defensive companies, which Value Invest hold. But because of the high yield, and we spoke a bit about this around this equity risk premium, because bond yields were so high, rather than moving into defensive equities, investors moved into bond yields that were paying 5%. And then what they did was they reallocated back out. And so because of that, Investors not only were selling off technology companies, were also selling off some holdings that were in the value invest portfolio and moving into the higher yielding bonds that are available. And that resulted in something of an underperformance in the portfolio in the third quarter. We took a long time to understand this. And because of that ongoing oversight that we've had for many quarters in the past, we can understand you know, why that happens. And obviously, we're watching the manager very closely as we go forward to make sure it doesn't happen again. But that ongoing oversight, that due diligence from the very beginning is really critical in us being able to provide the education, the transparency, and helping our clients with the decisions that they need to make 
within their portfolio. And I would just add one comment on that. In terms of the calls, in terms of the ongoing due diligence, that's something that we all participate in. So all of the portfolio managers speak with all of the managers, our analysts, our portfolio managers, all of us are on the calls. So we are well aware of what's happening in the portfolios and we can relay that information onto our clients. And again, just to sort of reiterate, as Julian was saying, the important thing is that the managers are doing what they're expected to do. So he talked about a defensive manager in a rising growth market. Would also, another example from the past year is a short duration bond manager lagging in a period where yields are falling and the bond market rebounds the way it did in the fourth quarter. So our assessment is not based just on how did the manager perform, but it's important to understand everything in context, given the manager's style and the purpose for which they're included in the portfolio. And if I can add just one final comment, once we go through all of these discussions with the managers and this oversight, we all get together because we've all heard all of the strategies and the comments from the manager. We get together once a month with our investment committee, but we also get together after each manager call just to understand if there are any concerns that one person may have or another. So this is really a team-based effort whenever we do the due diligence, whenever we do the oversights. And as Kevin said, everybody is involved in it at all times. I think one point I'd like to add just to that conversation is the fact that because we are independent, we have a really objective point of view when dealing with these third-party managers. I'm sure everyone knows that we implement all of our investment portfolios using external managers, so they don't own us, we don't own them. So we can be very objective if it comes to having to fire a manager or make tough decisions. I think we're in a better place to do it than maybe some of the other structures out there. Well, great. I think we covered a lot today. Randy, maybe you want to jump with some key observations here? Yeah, I think I'd like to leave our listeners with three key takeaways, if I may, Sava. I think the first is that getting the asset allocation decision right is probably the most important thing you can do when designing your investment program. The second piece I'd like to leave people with is I think it is okay to have a return objective associated with your investment portfolio, but it is very important to understand all the risks that are go hand in hand with that investment objective. So don't forget about the risk side of the equation. And finally, we talked a lot about oversight, and I think it's important for all of our listeners to understand that the oversight associated with your investment portfolio is an ongoing process. It's something that needs to be done on an ongoing basis. And much like the education we talked about, it's an ongoing process. So I think those would be the three key points that I would leave our listeners with. Well, thank you so much, Julian, Kevin, Randy, for joining me today. I appreciate you taking the time to share your insights and observations. Thanks again for listening. Insights into Wealth is a Vocal Fry Studios production. Our producer is Katie Jansen. I'm your host, Julian Smith. If you want to reach out to me, please email me directly or you may find me on LinkedIn. Bull Wealth is the corporate group name of Bull Capital Management Inc. and Bull Wealth Management Group Inc. Bull Capital Management Inc. is registered as a portfolio manager in the provinces of Ontario, British Columbia, Alberta, Quebec, and Saskatchewan an exempt market dealer in the provinces of Ontario, British Columbia, Alberta, and Quebec, and also an investment fund manager in the province of Ontario. The information contained in this podcast is not intended to solicit or to provide research or investment advice to the listeners by Bull Wealth or any of its affiliates. Also, receipt of the podcast by its listeners is not to be taken as constituting solicitation or giving of research or investment advice by Bull Wealth or any of its affiliates. 
This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part.